Good morning again. Well, last week, uh, Pastor Norb invited us to pray. He gave us a lot of instruction about what prayer means, what it looks like. And I hope that this past week you found time to pray. How did it go? Was it fun? Was it something that you like got into and every day felt like you had a good prayer rhythm? Or was it something that you found difficult? Did you find yourself starting to pray and suddenly you feel distracted? Or, or do you find yourself starting to pray and start wondering about the, the very words coming out of your mouth? Do I really mean that? Is, like, what is this about? Maybe you struggled to know what to pray. Or maybe it was a fantastic uh, week of prayer and hopefully it was. Uh, but this morning, I want us to, obviously we're going to dive into the Lord's Prayer. But I want to teach on the Lord's Prayer by framing it in my own from my own story, my own experience. Many of you know I'm a pastor's kid. My dad pastors over at McKernan Baptist, which is right by the university. He's been there for over 25 years, if you can believe it. Uh, so I grew up in the church world where prayer and Bible reading and stuff was just kind of a normal part of life, right? It was kind of expected that you would engage in those things. But I got to be honest, when I was young and, and growing up in the church, prayer was not something that came easy for me. Maybe you can relate to that. And then I started serving in youth group and, and getting involved leading worship and being parts of Bible studies and all these things. And I remember wanting to pray more, but it just not happening the way that I thought it would. And so then I, you know, go into young adulthood and, and keep, I'm growing up. I get married thinking that the weight of, of life is just going to make me pray more. And maybe it did, but my prayer life still wasn't what I thought it would be. And then when I sensed God calling me into ministry, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm headed to Bible college. I'm going to learn how to pray. I'm going to get more holy. It's going to be awesome, right? And similarly, to my own disappointment, my prayer life still didn't just become what I wanted it to become. Now, I don't stand before you this morning in any way as someone who believes he's mastered prayer. I would actually say that still my prayer life is nowhere near where I feel it should be or where I want it to be. So if that's you, you're in good company this morning. I'm not speaking to you this morning from a place of expertise, but, um, but I want to share with you two things that really got my prayer life going, that helped me in developing a prayer life, and, and that helped me find the rhythms and the routines that I believe have really, really helped me. Uh, the first one is something that Pastor Norb talked about last week. And it comes kind of through a story. Uh, while Jelena and I were living in Three Hills, where I was going to Prairie College. Um, oh, yeah, look at this. Prairie College. There we go. Um, I love Prairie College. If you're wondering about an undergraduate school or a place to do like a one-year gap program, either for yourself or your grandkids or your kids, look at Prairie College. If you have questions about it, you can ask me. But Jay and I were living in Three Hills. We loved being in Three Hills. We loved Prairie. Um, but while we were there, we got a dog. And we, we got this little puppy, and this puppy was a Husky Lab German Shepherd cross, they thought. Uh, he's, he ended up being a very big dog. Um, and of course, this little puppy had lots of energy and needed lots of attention, and we would have to walk him a lot. So Jelena and I would try as often as we could to walk this dog together. But there were times when, and pretty much, well, times, every day, I would walk the dog by myself. Not because Jelene wouldn't, it was just the dog needed so much walking uh, he probably got multiple, you know, three or four times a day walks. Um, but I would be on these walks with, with my dog, and I very quickly found that something about the rhythm of walking, I found myself praying. 
And this was amazing. It was like this huge shift for me in my spiritual life where walking and walking this dog seemed to be this place where I found myself able to pray. Now this goes back to what Pastor Norb talked about last week, that we need this secret place to pray. We need to find a place or a time where prayer can actually take place. If we don't have a time or a place set aside for prayer, it's likely that we're not going to pray. Norb shared about, oh, he's often talked to the staff, he talks about a chair that he has in his home that he likes to sit in. Um, Last week he talked about a friend of his who had a room built in his basement for prayer. Uh, He also talked about Susanna Wesley who covered her head with her apron and it was like her prayer closet the kids knew to stay away. So that was the first thing that made a huge shift for me, was having a place to pray. And I would say that I learned to pray in the company of Toby, this dog. Now, some of you know that we don't have Toby anymore. He's being taken care of by someone else and is very loved, and, which is great. Um, but I've been able to maintain some of those rhythms uh, through running, um, and as well as some other disciplines that I've um, been able to incorporate. So you need to have that place. But the second thing that we're going to talk about this morning is, you know, it's great to have a place to pray, right? It's great to have that prayer closet, that secret place to feel a sense of, okay, here I am, I'm praying, this is wonderful. But have you ever started praying and been like, well, what do I pray? You know, what should I actually pray? And like lists and things are are great, but I think sometimes it can feel very mundane, You know, at TCC, I talk a lot about this idea of living the abundant life that Jesus has for us. I talk a lot about John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I came to give life and life abundant. Now, if you're anything like me, you might feel like, well, where is that abundant life? I've been a Christian for a long time, but I'm not necessarily feeling a sense of abundance. Or you can hear worship leaders or pastors talk about feeling connected to God. And you might say, that's great. I'd love to feel connected with God, but I just, I just haven't. I just, I don't know what that's about. It feels awkward when I pray. It feels awkward when I read scripture. How do I connect with God? It's funny. I think that what I have found in my life is I just start chasing after all sorts of things, right? It's like the next conference, the next worship song, the next, the next book. You know, if I only do these things, then I'm going to experience intimacy with Jesus. I, I can't wait to have these things. And I start running and chasing after them. All the while, Jesus, the words from Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary. Jesus just wants you to come to him. He just wants you to come to him. Isaiah chapter 55, come to the waters and drink. This invitation of God to his people, come, you who are thirsty, come, buy bread without cost. But in the Christian world and in our consumerist culture, we're just always running around trying to satisfy our needs of our own effort that we don't take the time to come. Friends, don't miss this. Prayer is the heart of you having any intimacy with Jesus. If you're not praying from your heart, coming and spending time with him, you will not experience the abundant life that he has for you. It's so easy for us to overlook the simplicity of prayer. I would say prayer is the greatest discipline. Silence and solitude in prayer. And when we pray, it's not just praying through our lists. 
But it's coming before God and entering into his presence. Laying our lives before him. Hearing what he has to say with us. Entering into communion with Jesus. No book is going to do that for you. No sermon is going to do that for you. The practice of prayer is at the heart of the Christian life. To be with Jesus. And I believe that what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11 in the Lord's Prayer is He's giving us the tools to watch our prayer life catch fire and have a substance to it. So if the first thing I learned about prayer was the need to have that place, the second thing was the content of prayer. What do I pray? What do I pray? And so, of course, I'm not the first person to ask this question, how do I pray, right? Uh, again, Luke chapter 11, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And what does he do? You know, we'll pray like this. Now, I think the Lord's Prayer is very, very familiar to us. And I don't know what your interaction with it has been. Uh, sometimes our experience with the Lord's Prayer is that uh, we recite it in a group of, with a group of people. And that's awesome. We've done that a few times here at TCC. And it's kind of this communal way to say the Lord's Prayer. Maybe the Lord's Prayer has been something you recite personally. You know, I just actually finished a, a book about, um, based on what's going on at the Vietnam War. And it, it follows the kind of the experience of a young soldier. And this young soldier interacts with a chaplain who kind of teaches him the Lord's Prayer. And throughout the book, the author takes us into this young soldier's mind. And he'll just recite lines, different lines from the Lord's Prayer. And so maybe that's kind of been your experience. Is you have moments in your life where you don't know what to pray. So you just pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that's cool too. But I want us to notice something in the Lord's Prayer that when, especially here in Matthew, Jesus, Jesus says, pray then like this. And I think what was going on here, I don't think that Jesus is saying that these are the word for word, this is how you're to pray word for word every time you pray. I don't think Jesus is saying that. Um, and I think there's evidence of that in Scripture, that that's not, Jesus isn't confining prayer to the Lord's Prayer. And he's not saying that the, the formulation of these words creates the perfect prayer. That's not what Jesus is saying. I think when he says pray like this, what he's doing is giving us a structure or a framework in which we can pray. That when we come to pray, we can look at the Lord's Prayer and see for us a lot like what Anna just did, right? She gave us that acronym of pray. And in that acronym, it's like each one is like a little prompt, right? Similarly, we look at the Lord's Prayer and we see the prompts from Jesus, this is how you do it. This is how you pray. So we're going to dive into the Lord's Prayer this morning. So much has been written on the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I do not have enough time to go into all the nuances and all the things in the Lord's Prayer. And that's not the purpose this morning. The purpose is that you would turn off this live stream and feel more equipped and more empowered to pray. The purpose of this message is that you would leave feeling life and vitality and excitement about praying. And so that's going to be kind of more my driving focus. So I want to break down the Lord's Prayer for us. In, there's going to be three major parts. I'm going to do this quickly. So grab a pen and some paper maybe. Um, but three major parts. And 
in each one we have various subparts. And there's a total, I think, of seven divisions within the Lord's Prayer. Six that we have here in Matthew. And the seventh is the benediction that I'll refer to briefly at the end that isn't recorded in, in Matthew here. Um, so we'll unpack these. And in them, I believe, find resources or tools for prayer. So you're ready? Ready. I heard that. I didn't hear that. I'm going to assume you said you're ready. So let's, let's jump in. The first major heading I have for us is an introduction. An introduction to prayer. You know, have you ever gone to the library and checked out a book? What do you need to check out the book? You need a library card. Um, if you went to the library and you, you know, kind of went around, you grabbed a couple books off the shelf and you're on your way out and they say, sir, you need to check those books out. And you said, I don't have a library card. Don't worry. I promise I'll bring it back. What are they going to say to you? Like, sir, you, you cannot take these books out without a library card. No, no, no. I promise I'll bring them back. It doesn't work that way, does it? All over the place, we have this uh, in our culture. There's things where we need something to give us access to do something else. Whether you're at a gym and you need a gym membership, a library, you need a library card. Going to a certain golf club, you need to be a member of that golf club to be able to play golf. Sometimes we miss this because we pray so often, but we need to remember that the way we approach God is only possible because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's almost like, and the illustration will break down quickly, but it's almost like a library card. On what basis do we come before our Father God? Jesus invites us to begin the Lord's Prayer with the words, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. When we pray this, we are saying many, many things in a phrase that's so easy to miss. Of course, there's this reality that when we pray, Our Father, we are recognizing that we are children of God. You are God's child. You are his son or his daughter. And when we pray these words, we enter into this prayer. We have access. We are children of God. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. Now, something that maybe you haven't thought of before when it comes to praying our Father is that it is not just a statement of belonging. It's not just a statement of identity, this reality that you are um, a child of God, but it's also a statement of allegiance. It's a statement of allegiance. When you pray our Father, you're saying, God, you are my Father. I am your child. I want to be about my Father's business. In Jesus' ministry, we see him live out this prayer over and over again when he says, I do not do anything that the Father has not told me to do, and I do not say anything that the Father has not told me to say. Why? Because Jesus was about his Father's business. You and I need to be about God's business. So when we pray, we come to the statement, Our Father, and I believe that it's an invitation to silence and to stillness, to sit and reflect on the reality that God is our Father, which means you are His child, you belong to Him, He loves you, and beyond that, it's you saying, God, I want to be about your business. I want to be like you. I want to be like you. You know, I was like this as a child with my dad. 
Again, my dad's a pastor. I remember taking my dad into the dining room and we had a, a door on the dining room. We closed the door and I sat my dad down and, and I told him about a great sermon he should preach that I had written. Why did I do that as a kid? I wanted to be about my father's business. My dad was a preacher. I, I was like, Dad, you should preach this. Maybe you've experienced that with a kid, right? But the invitation in the Our Father is an invitation to come before God as his children. Now, as I talk about this, maybe your mind is racing and maybe you did not have a great experience with your earthly father. But when we pray to our Father God, we need to recognize that we are praying to a Father who is perfect. A Father who is perfect, who will not abandon, who will not neglect who will not divert his attention from you. And that is the Father we come to. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, I think we need to start with a time of reflection on this. We just sit in the truth of this statement. Father God, as I say that that word, Father, Lord, I recognize I belong to you. I am your child. Thank you for that truth. And and God, I, I recognize that as your child, I, I'm a part of your family and I, I need to be about your business. And we sit and we meditate on those words. And maybe we even listen and hear God affirm that back to us. And that's the access. That's the, where the prayer begins. Then we move into the second part of the prayer, which I'm going to call um, a part of reorientation. And this section, I'm going to say, and again, Various different authors and theologians, commentaries will break up the Lord's Prayer in different ways. Um, this is kind of a, a bringing together of all of those and trying to distill it um, the best that I can. So, so this second part, I'm heading, giving the heading of reorientation. And uh, in here, I believe that there's two parts. And in here, the, the two petitions that we make is, May your name be hallowed, or holy is your name. And the other petition we make is, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray, may your name be hallowed or holy is your name, uh, we are making a declaration of the nature and character of God. So of course, in this section of the prayer, we we are invited into a posture of praise and worship and adoration. To recognize that there is no God like him. There is no one like him. There's no one higher. There's no one greater. There's no one more real than God. What I will often do um, based on what I've had been maybe reading in scripture or something I've been thinking about or reading somewhere else. If there's an attribute of God that has stood out to me, something about his character. So maybe I've been thinking about how God is trustworthy um, or faithful. I might focus my time of praise and adoration on a specific attribute. And so that might help you in your prayer. When you move into this time of adoration, what is something that comes to the forefront about God's character or nature? And you just spend time thanking Him for for being that way. You spend time adoring Him for, for being who He is. The second part in this the second part in this section of reorientation. Um, is the petition, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this word kingdom is something we see a lot in the New Testament. It's a little bit lost on us here in the, in the 21st century, right? Because it's a, uh, we, we live in a democracy. We don't have kings. 
Um, and the class that I'm teaching in Equip, I'm just going to keep plugging Equip. You should really sign up for our Equip study. Uh, the second class, God's Big Picture, takes the theme of kingdom and unpacks it throughout the whole of Scripture, uh, which is super cool and it's a lot of fun. Uh, so lots more information on kingdom there. Uh, but when we talk about kingdom, I think the simplest way to understand it is it's the rule and the reign of God. So when we think of kingdom of God, think of the rule and the reign of God. When Jesus said he came to bring the kingdom of God, he was bringing the kingdom in. He was bringing the rule and the reign of God into various situations and various circumstances, right? So his teaching was an expression of the reign of God. His healing ministry was an expression of the reign of God. The way that he dealt with authority was an expression of the reign of God. And it's call to ministry, right? He's, he's calling us to, to call him Lord, to submit our lives to him, to submit our lives to his rule and his reign. And friends, he is a good king. And so when we pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, what we're doing is we're asking for God to make right as he wants things made right. So for myself, as I pray, let your kingdom come, it's, it's a reflection on what I see in the world and maybe what I see in my own life and I bring that back to God and I pray that his will would be done. And it always starts with me. Always starts with me. God's ruling and his reigning starts with me. And I come before him and I, I pray, God, I I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in Adam Byer as it is in heaven. And maybe there's something I reflect on in there that I just ask that God would make things right in my life. Bring my life in alignment to his word. From that place, I expand. You know, I go from myself and then I'll pray for my wife and my daughters. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done in Jolene and Libby and Hallie as it's done in heaven. And then maybe I'll start praying for other family members or, or start praying for friends. And then I'll start praying maybe co-workers. Now, here's something I want you to catch. Um, in these times of prayer, I don't, I don't have a big list that I'm going through. It's not like I pull out my kingdom come list and I start praying through names. I really trust that the Holy Spirit leads us in our prayers. So the way I usually pray this is just as things come to mind. You know, maybe I received a text message from a friend the day before and I just, I bring them before God and pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done in their lives. TCC, when I pray for you, this is a huge theme in my prayer. God, let your kingdom come and your will be done in Terwilliger Community Church as it is in heaven. In Terwilliger Town as it is in heaven. In, in Edmonton as it is in heaven. And we join with Jesus in praying this prayer that his kingdom would come. This, this prayer has an immediate reality in the sense that we're asking God to do what only he can do here and now. But it also has a future reality, doesn't it? Where we're praying that Jesus would return. That he would come and redeem the earth. That that time where every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord, that that would come to pass. That the picture we have in Isaiah, that, that, that swords will be beaten into plowshares because there's no more war, no more need for weapons. That's what we're asking for. That's what we're praying for. And that brings us to the end of the, this part one. So we've gone through the introduction 
this reality of, of praying um, our Father. We reflect on who we are in, in light of who God is. We move into a time of worship and adoration. Hallowed be your name. And then we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in us, in our families, in our world, in our church as it is in heaven. Now, I was just going to say it here that um, you don't have to spend a lot of time, right? Like, I'm, what, 20 minutes talking about this? this, this don't worry, I'll speed up. Um, but I want to say, too, I, I, I don't want to try to sell this to you in saying that, oh, you don't have to spend a lot of time. I was listening to a sermon last week, and the, the pastor said, look, you can either pray quick, or you can spend time with God. Those are your options. And that was so convicting to me. I was like, whoa, yeah. Like, the temptation to just race through a prayer list? Like, could you imagine sitting down with a, a, a girlfriend or boyfriend, husband, wife, or a good friend, and just sitting down and saying, hey, how's it going? Yeah, okay, dun, 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 dun. I'll see you later, right? We don't do that with people. We don't rush through an agenda with people. We sit and we spend time with them. So again, we find that secret place. We settle down with God. And we just start praying this. And we listen to the Spirit's prompting and we just pray. And we feel done with one section. We move to the next. Which brings us to section two or part two, which I would title Petitions of Dependence. Part one, reorientation back to God. Let me talk about that for a second, sorry. Um, So the reason I would look at the first section as a reorientation, it's this recognition that we live so disoriented, right? Like, we could be having a great week and we're going through life, but then something happens. Maybe someone cuts us off in, tra- in traffic. Maybe we get sick. Maybe a friend of ours gets sick. We, maybe we spend two minutes on Facebook and we're deeply um, disturbed in our spirit, <laughs> whatever it is. And it's so easy for us to take our eyes off Jesus and to set our eyes on these various situations and circumstances. And what happens is we want to rush first to the second part of the Lord's Prayer. We want to rush into making requests before God. And it's good to make requests. I'll talk about that in a second. However, when we take the time to actually pray the Lord's Prayer, what we're doing is taking our eyes off of all these situations, right? We feel, maybe our identity feels under attack. Maybe we feel disoriented in a sense of belonging. And we stop and we say, my Father in heaven. Oh yeah, I belong to God. I'm a child of God. Or maybe we're seeing how, you know, we think about our government, how much we maybe feel like our government's letting us down during this pandemic. We worship a God who never lets us down. So we we bring that disorientation of feeling let down. We bring that before God in the Lord's Prayer. And we say, holy is your name, Father God. You are the God. You are one who will never let me down. That who you are is yesterday, today, and forever. You are unchanging. And we sit in the truth of those prayers and we are reoriented. (laughs) Our perspective is set back where it should be. We look up. And then the second part of the petition, and I don't think it's a mistake, Jesus invites us to bring our requests before God 
after our time of worship, after our prayer that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. Now, friends, if your typical prayer strategy is to come before God with a list and just bring your requests, you know, I I don't think that it's an idea of right or wrong. It's not like that's a wrong way to pray. I think it's an issue of better best, right? Like, it's better for you to pray than not pray. So to just come before God with requests, it's great that you're praying. But what Jesus is demonstrating for us is the best. That we don't just rush up to God with our requests, but we come before him, we spend time in his presence. We sit with him for a time before we bring to him our requests. Now the section part, these petitions of dependence, um, there's three, three petitions in here that we're going to talk about, and each one has two elements or two parts. So here we go. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is a prayer of bringing before God our needs. Now, in the 21st century, living in Edmonton, um, I'm sure, I hope, I pray that we all have bread on our tables. That wondering about the next meal isn't a concern that we have. Um, when Jesus spoke to this audience as an agrarian society, right? Like, they, they kind of lived meal to meal, day to day, and um, that was just a part of life. And so praying for a daily bread was very real to them. But I believe in this portion of the prayer, we're invited to bring our needs, whatever they may be, to God. Maybe, maybe your need is, has to do with mental health or physical health. You bring those concerns to God. Maybe there's some relational struggles you're going through. You bring those to God. Or maybe it is kind of like a next meal prayer in the sense of you're feeling like financially, it's just, God, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. Jelena and I, um, earlier on in our marriage, we were living in Calgary and um, I can remember a season of life we were trying so hard to do a good budget. Um, and I remember being in the shower one day and I was using the shampoo and we're like running out of shampoo. And it was this like discouraging moment, not because my hair wouldn't be clean, but a discouraging moment because why do I have to buy shampoo? Why does this have to run out? This isn't going to fit into the budget, right? You know, but I'm praying or whatever. I'm committing our budget to God. I'm trying to be spiritual and do the right thing in that sense. And uh, it was so funny because later that week, we're at a friend's house. Um, Don't worry, I didn't steal the shampoo from their shower. That's not where this is going. But we're at a friend's house and we enjoy a meal with them. You remember that pre-COVID? We could go to someone's house and have a meal. It was so great. Um, But this is years ago. So I'm at their house. We enjoy the meal. We're on our way out the door and they say, oh wait, we got this like gift basket that we are not going to use. Would you like it? And so we're like, oh sure, like free stuff or whatever. Guess what's in the gift basket? Shampoo, conditioner, lotions. Like this gift basket is just full of um, personal hygiene products. And I was just, it was so funny, right? I'm like, this was the thing I was worrying about yesterday. And here I am holding this basket full of shampoo. And what's funny about it is I didn't wonder where the shampoo came from, right? Like this was an answer to almost an unspoken prayer. God was telling me through a bottle of shampoo that he is going to provide and care for me. I just need to bring him my needs. I hesitated sharing this next story, but this past week, so within the last week, like as many of you know, Jelena and I, we have a two-month-old at home now, so we've been adjusting to that. And please don't hear this as me like saying I need help because that's not what I'm saying. We feel very loved and cared for and we're doing well. So that's my precursor. Monday morning, someone drops off a meal for us. And we were like, man, like, we're so blessed by this, right? 
Um, and, and so we're, we're happy about that. I think what I'm getting at, the stress of a new child, right? Like having to cook new meals and, and stay on top of the kitchen and all that. It's, just, it's, it's a lot of work. So someone brings us a meal on Monday. And we're like, oh, this is so great. Later that day, Jolene gets a text. Someone, a friend saying, um, hey, can I bring you a meal? And Jay said, well, sure, okay. Two meals. I feel blessed. Another text message. A third person wants to bring us a meal. And so this is like Tuesday around lunchtime. We've got like three meals, right? Um, Four o'clock Tuesday evening. So within 48 hours, our neighbor uh, reaches out to Jolene and says, I I cooked you guys supper and I'm going to drop it off. We have four meals. Now, when I look at all of this, like God knew I was preaching on the Lord's Prayer today, right? Like this is the daily bread stuff. God goes before us. He knows our needs. He just asks that we bring them before him. And these past weeks and my feeling overwhelmed and me wondering how am I going to be a great support to my wife and take care of my kids and manage at work and be a student and all of this. It's like God's like, I got it. And through four meals, God just demonstrates. He's like, I got you. The book of Psalms teaches us how important it is for us to bring all of our needs. Are you angry at someone? Bring that before God. Are you feeling like just frustrated and bitter and resentful? Bring that before God. All of our needs, everything we need, we bring before God. So we think about our friends, we think about our family, we think about people who don't know Jesus. All these things we feel burdened about, we bring before God. The second part of this give us this day prayer should be intercessory prayer for the greater needs of our community. Because there are people in Edmonton who are praying for daily bread. And so we take time to be mindful of the widow and the orphan, of the homeless, of the sick and the hurting, the people who we don't know. And we bring them before God in a time of intercession. So that's the second part of the give us this day our daily bread. The next part of the prayer is the forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now this part of the prayer is all about right relationships, right? When Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in this we have an invitation from Jesus to pursue right relationships. So this, at this point in the prayer, Jesus is inviting us to a practice of confession. So here's the two elements. The first is before God. So we come and we come before God personally and we confess of the sin in our lives. We repent of the sin in our lives, which is so much more than saying we're sorry. Repentance is an action. It's a turning of your back towards sin. It's, um, the, in the Greek, it's this idea of like, You've changed your mind about the thing you're sorry for, right? So this isn't a trite, like, tell your brother you're sorry to your kids, right? And they're like, sorry. It's like, it's, it's at the point where that child recognizes and feels remorse for their behavior and believes in their heart that they should not do that action ever again. That's repentance. And they turn their back and they walk the other way. They've turned their back on that behavior. Uh, so when we're invited to a posture of repentance, sometimes in prayer— We need to sit with our sin until we see it for what it is. 
and recognize, man, this actually, yeah, I, I shouldn't be doing this. This isn't some confessional where we just make a clean slate and then go and just keep living the way we were living. When we pray and confess our sins to God, it's us not only saying we're sorry, but it's us saying, God, I don't want to do this again. And we're going to get back to that in a second. So we repent of our own sins. The second thing we do is we think about right relationships with other people. Who has wronged you? Who's crossed you? Who's offended you? You take time in prayer to pray forgiveness towards them. Sometimes that's incredibly, incredibly hard. Sometimes people have hurt us deeply. So we do not do this lightly, but we take the time to consider who do I not feel in a right relationship with and we pray forgiveness. Okay, into the last part here of the Lord's Prayer as we have it in Matthew. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now again, two elements to this. The first is the recognition that and you might not like these words. There's evil inside of us, okay? When the Holy Spirit is a seal on our hearts and the sanctifying work begins in our lives, when we become Christians, we have God's Spirit in us, but we are a work in progress. Romans chapter 8 talks about how uh, we are being conformed. It's a process of being conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's in, in Christian theology, we call this sanctification that we are working out our faith, that God is doing a work on us. But the reality is, it's as the great hymn says, we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God we love. And so we come before God and we pray that we would not be caught up in our temptation. When temptation comes, we have two choices, don't we? The first choice is to just give in to the temptation, to just do the thing we know we shouldn't do. But the second choice is to turn towards God. Now, some of us might wonder in our Christian faith, why would God even allow temptation? Why would he allow temptation? Well, our brother here at uh, TCC, Scott Howley, um, he actually preached on the Lord's Prayer um, a couple years back um, in New Zealand. And he sent me a link to these sermons, and I was so blessed by them. And so I have a quote for us from Scott on this, this point. And Scott said that God doesn't want your perfect obedience as much as he wants you. That is why he will allow temptations in our lives. Not to trip us up, but to make us realize how desperately we need him. Wow. So yeah, could God just like cut all the temptation? Probably he could. But when we come to that fork in the road of choosing temptation or choosing God, God wants us. He wants our whole hearts. He wants the heart that chooses him over the sin. And so we pray, God, lead me not into temptation. The second part of this prayer is the recognition that not only is there evil inside of us, a, a prone to sin, but there's also evil coming from the outside. Man, if being, you know, being a Christian, there's this reality. There are things at work that are working so hard to form us into an image contrary to the image of Jesus. There are forces at work that are trying to keep you from prayer. 
There are forces at work that are trying to keep you from being the person that God created you to be. There are forces at work that are keeping you from experiencing the full life that Jesus has for us. We go back to John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He contrasts himself to the evil one. He says the thief, he comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And that thief is at work today. When I look at this section of the Lord's Prayer, um, for me, it's really this prayer that all the things I've prayed, Lord, I've prayed your kingdom to come. Lord, I've prayed that your will would be done. I've, I've brought you these requests. I've asked that you would move in a way that only you can move in the world. God, I've asked for forgiveness. I've, I've asked that I would forgive others. We bring all this before God. And at this part of the prayer, it's almost asking like he would seal it in. It's like saying, God, keep me from not walking according to your will. Keep me um, from being someone who gets caught up in the evil in this world. Lord, I want my prayers to be authentic and real. Help me to walk the way that you want me to walk. So those are the two major sections that I see in the prayer after the introduction. Now, church tradition has added uh, this last part. Now, this last part, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's not found in the earliest manuscripts. Uh, what's likely is that, um, that the church would read or pray or sing the Lord's Prayer together. And so they added this doxology. Uh, Timothy Keller just talks about how perfect it is, right? And so I invite you in the close of your prayer. You know, we don't have to unpack this one, but we just say, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is an appropriate conclusion. Now all of this is great, right? Lots of information. But friends, it means nothing unless we actually engage in the practice. So I want us to do two things. The first is I want us to read the Lord's Prayer together. So if you're watching live, you have the benefit of knowing that across the city uh, you have people joining with you as we read this prayer out loud together. And then I'm going to read it again, breaking up each part and I'll, I'll kind of read a part as a prompt, and then you can respond in that time in the quiet of your own home and just fill in the blank. You know, for example, you'd, I would pray, holy is your name. And in that quiet, you might say, God, thank you that you are faithful, or whatever it may be. And we can pray the Lord's Prayer um, more specifically together. But again, friends, we need a space to pray, and we also need the content of our prayers. And here Jesus gives us the content. And it is so powerful. So let's do that together. Uh, Quinn will put up a slide with, with the full prayer. And I just invite you to pray with me. And then I'll lead you through the prompts. Each one, each prompt will have a slide uh, that, that Quinn will put up. And then I'll just move us along through that as well. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we pray. And then join with me for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's go to the first part of the prayer. Our Father in heaven.
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So I encourage you, maybe this week, this afternoon, take some time. Get alone with God. Sit down with the Lord's Prayer and pray through these these ancient words that Jesus gave us to pray. And I hope that it will empower and fuel your prayer life. That you'll be encouraged in your walk with Jesus as you pray these words. Friends, this information is nothing unless you actually engage in it. So please, please uh, take time to become people of prayer. Well, we have a special treat this morning. Um, this past week, uh, Lorraine Zinn and Mel Lee came to the church and we pre-recorded uh, Lorraine singing the Lord's Prayer. And it's just such a blessing. So I just encourage you to maintain this prayer posture as we listen to this song. And after the song, uh, Pastor Quinn will come and give our benediction.
Take 